Amen. Thank you, Jim Bays. You can always count on him for a little entertainment, can't you? Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Man, what a, what a great opportunity that we have to come together and to fellowship and uh, to see old friends and to meet new friends. Uh, I was, Jim mentioned Frank Collins. I asked him one time, I said, Frank, how's, uh, how's retirement? And he said, I never knew the burden was so heavy until I laid it down. Uh, that was uh, pretty insightful. Uh, Randy yesterday talked about his, uh, his longevity in the Baptist Bible Fellowship. I'd just like to say a word uh, about, about mine. Joanne and I have been in the Baptist Bible Fellowship for a long time. Uh, I became acquainted with the Baptist Bible Fellowship in Sherman, Texas. Uh, Joanne grew up in the church there, Central Baptist, and uh, somehow, providentially, I was uh, stationed at Perrin Air Force Base between Sherman and Denison. Uh, the church had a ministry to the service guys, the airmen, and uh, they, uh, they went out there and they tried to bring them to church to incorporate them in their church. And after they got a few of them, uh, the airmen had a ministry to the girls in the church. And it, 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 was, it was a real bonus, I'll tell you. Uh, a lot of airmen at the airbase uh, took a lot of those Sherman girls. Some of them went to the mission field. And uh, many of them went into the pastorate. And uh, Joanne and I, headed off to Baptist Bible College from Sherman, Texas. That's the place you went back then. Uh, Lloyd Ledbetter didn't give you a choice. He just said, that's where you go. And we said, yes, sir. That's what we're going to do. And we got to Baptist Bible College with our two little boys at that time. And we lived right across from, uh, over across from Kearney, across the street down there in this little area, we paid $50 a, a month for rent. We lived on Boyer Avenue. And uh, we were so excited to serve God. It was incredible. Uh, I couldn't wait to get to class in the morning to hear Kenneth Gilming and Eli Haru and uh, professors like that, and boy, we, we were just hungry for everything they had to offer. And uh, we got through our little two and a half year course by doing a couple summer schools. And they said, now listen, uh, you graduates, you go out and find you a city and uh, start a church and stay a lifetime. And uh, Joanne and I tried to do that. We headed off to my hometown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, I took Joanne out of Texas, but you can't take the Texas out of the girl, right? Yeah. So uh, she's back now. We live in Rockwall, Texas. So she's, but she was, uh, she was a tremendous pastor's wife uh, when we were leaving the church two years ago. 
one of the uh, ladies of the church came up to me and said, your wife has been the perfect pastor's wife. Man, I could live on that for a long time. Uh, we were made for each other. When I met her, she had a Bible in her hand. I met her in church, and I had one in mine. And she still got hers, and I still got mine. 55 years later. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, thank you for the privilege of being able to speak to you men today. I appreciate that a lot. In our church back in Pittsburgh, uh, every time I would uh, approach the pulpit, I would say, let's turn in our Bible too. That was always my first words. And one of the ladies said to me uh, not too long ago, Pastor, every time you said that, my heart was at peace. My heart became at peace when you said, let's open our Bibles too. And so, let's open our Bibles too. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I love to under underline things in my Bible. I have so many markings, you know, and, uh, but they're hard to read sometimes, you know. You write them up the sides along the top. They're all over the place. But if you like to do that underline, Lord, teach us to pray. When is the last time someone in your church came up to you and said, you know, I want to learn to pray? I think there are probably a lot of people in our churches that have this thought on their mind, but they're really embarrassed to speak up. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 here, we have the account of one solitary disciple who stepped up and made his feelings known. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. The disciple was inspired by Jesus' example. He desired more. Jesus, remember previously, had talked about prayer in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Go find a secret place and don't use vain repetitions. You'd, you've heard the name E.M. Bounds. Uh, that's familiar to us, isn't it? Uh, he spent the last 19 years of his life reading, writing, praying, and working in revival ministry. His normal schedule was to get up at uh, 4 a.m. and pray for three hours. And in his book, Prayer and the Praying Men, he said this about prayer. Prayer is the most important of all things on earth. All else must be restrained, retired, to give it primacy. Defeat and victory lie in this one thing. If prayer is put first, then God is put first and victory is ensured. Prayer must either reign in our life or must abdicate. The question for us today is prayer reigning in your life? Is prayer reigning in my life? There are about 25 different separate events in the Gospels of Jesus praying. 
And I'd like to just cover a few of them with you this morning. And let's call it Jesus' practice of prayer. Luke 3.21 says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens were opened. This was his inauguration uh, from his private life to his beginning of his public ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed a long while before daylight. That was dubbed the morning watch. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come forth. Jesus, before he preached, he prayed. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. On this occasion, he chose his 12 disciples. You know, it's really important who we have around us in the ministry. They can either make us or break us. And Jesus prayed all night about that. James Stalker, the Scottish preacher and scholar, said this. When Jesus arrived in a town, his first thought was, uh, not, was where is the shortest way to the mountain? Just as ordinary travelers inquire where the most noted sites are and the best hotel, not so with Jesus. John 17, 9, the prayer that we know is the Lord's Prayer. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I do not pray for these alone, verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus was praying for future believers also. Uh, this should give you and me confidence as we work for the kingdom. Matthew 26, 36. Sit here while I go and pray over there. In an hour of great pain, he prayed in Gethsemane. Luke 22, 32. Jesus showed us by the example of Peter what to do when Satan comes against us or someone we know. He said this, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. The word there for prayed is the, is the word deome. It's used 22 times in the New Testament. It's the very same word that Moses, that the Septuagint translated the Hebrew into the Greek in Exodus chapter 32. When Moses interceded for the nation of Israel, he begged, he pleaded with God. Jesus prayed with emotion and intensity. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. In his last moments of life, as he hung on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verse 46. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The habit of prayer was a first priority with Jesus. Now just let that flow over you. The habit of prayer was the first priority with Jesus. What is prayer? 
prayer is communion with God. That's what it is. And uh, the example of Christ should produce the same reaction from us as it did with his disciple of old. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's say that together this morning, okay? Lord, teach us to pray. One more time. Lord, teach us to pray. What a God-honoring thought that we would come before the Lord and come out of the shadow of, of uh, fear and say, Lord, I want to go further in communion with you. E.M. Bounds called Jesus the Christ of prayer. He modeled prayer, he depended upon prayer, and he commanded prayer. Now, there is an incredible, incredible promise that Jesus gives to us beginning in John chapter 14. I'd like to ask you to turn over there with me, please. John chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. On the night before his death, he gives his final instructions, his valedictory address. He moves from his public ministry now to his private ministry. Verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you, what's that word? Ask in my name. That will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14. If you, what, ask anything in my name, I will do it. Greater works in the future, Jesus said. Big things are on the horizon. The Holy Spirit is coming. Believers are empowered. Peter has incredible boldness. The result of Peter's message on the day of Pentecost was a tremendous launching pad for the church. Works of conversion, compassion. That's what Jesus had in mind for the church. Today they are church groups going on summer mission trips to, in, to do incredible works in the name of Jesus. Expanding the sphere of Christ's influence around the world. Today it's pastors going to big and little towns to carve out a church that will continue for generations, missionaries going to uncharted territories and spending a lifetime like the indomitable Adoniram Judson. He turned down, I think some of you know, he turned down a flourishing Boston church because his heart was on the world. When I first read about Adoniram Judson, it looked to me like he was not very successful because as you know and some of you have read, uh, it took him six years to bring somebody to Christ. But you know what he said? He said, I will never leave Burma until the cross is planted here forever. His conception of success and ours, I think are two different things. Uh, he had a ministry of faithfulness and ministering in the power of the spirit, leaving the results to God. And listen what he said about prayer. I never prayed sincerely and earnestly for anything, but it came at some time. No matter how distant a day, somehow, in some shape, probably the least, I would have devised, it came. Adoniram Judson. Oswald Chambers hits the nail on the head. 
prayer does not fit us for the greater work, prayer is the greater work. Wow, how about that? You know, now I can kind of visualize the disciples. We're in John chapter 14 now. Uh, they're thinking them to themselves, did Jesus really say what I thought he said, verse 13 and 14? Just ask, praying in his name? This was a new thought to them. They had not prayed yet in Jesus' name. Uh, that simply means that uh, they were to pray the things that Jesus desired. Keep that in mind. And the prayer was to be the, to the glory of God. That's the key, to the glory of God. There was a young man in our church. He came to Christ, and he was being mentored by an older guy in the church. And he came to the older guy one day, and he said, uh, God has answered all my prayers. You know, that's the kind of statement that an older Christian would kind of like roll his eyes back and say, boy, he hasn't been around long enough. He said, God's answered all my prayers. And uh, the other fellow began to uh, say, hey, now listen, what are you talking about? God's answered all, all your prayers. He said, uh, God saved my marriage. My kids have a new attitude. And he mentioned a few other things, and sure enough, they were all in the will of God. And Jesus said, listen, you just pray in my name and for my glory, I will do it. A number of years ago, I got an email from a missionary on the mission field, and he said, my prayer life has a lot to be desired. What can I do? I said this in return. Ask God to make you the best prayer that you can be. The best prayer that you can be. Not one you've read about, not one you've heard about, not somebody you know, just you. Ask the Lord to make you the best prayer you can be. I think that's what this unnamed disciple in Luke chapter 11 wanted. He just wanted to be the best prayer he could be. And he went to the right place. He went to Christ. And I think it starts there. That's the foundation. Then... Let's add to it. Lord, make me the best person of praise that I, can, that I can be. You know, I didn't know much about praise until I prayed that prayer, and I know much more now about praise than I did before. Lord, make me the best person of confession and repentance that I can be. You know, we can't get ahead if we are burdened with guilt. We have to unload that guilt in confession and repentance. Lord, make me the best person of thanksgiving that we can be. You know, I just love to thank the Lord. I'm kind of addicted to it, really. I mean, you get around me for any length of time, and it's like, that's what I do. I, I thank God for everything. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. I brought a few of my pages that I work from in prayer uh, almost every day I make some entries about things for which I praise the Lord and I thank God for. Sometimes it'll be a paragraph like this. And uh, then I'll read back the day before and I'll read the day before and I'll remind myself and I'll remind God that I'm still praising you, God, for this up here that I would have forgotten about had I not written it down. And so I, I love to write praise and thanksgiving to Jesus. I prayed, Lord, make me the best person 
of praise and thanksgiving that I can be. And Lord, make me the best person of fasting that I can be. I prayed that prayer, and for the last 13 years, I've fasted two days a week. And somebody said, well, how would you really do that? I, I just prayed about that. I said, Lord, I want to get closer to you. I want to be up more personal with you. And, and uh, I started fasting one day a week, and I said, well, you know, I really like this. And so I prayed about it. And then we're adding to our list, Lord, make me the best pastor that I can be. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to be a pastor. If When you step out of it, you miss it. Make me the best pastor. Make me the best teacher that I can be. And you know what God said or will say to all of those things? Yes, you got it. How do I know that? Look what he says. Verse 14, I will do it. The word I there is emphatic. The Lord of heaven and earth guarantees that if we pray in Jesus' name for his glory, he will do it for us. And these things that I'm talking about this afternoon are critical in our life. There are many pastors that are just dying on the vine because they're trying everything they can to serve God when they're not building weight below the waterline. Because the storms rage, don't they? It's wild out there. But boy, someone who has a strong connection to God can make it through the storm. Now, let's, let's turn to John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. And let's look at this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will what? Ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples if. If you abide with me, what does that mean? That means to remain, to continue in seamless fellowship with the Lord. Again, for the glory of God and his harvest. Much fruit involves a life of answered prayer because prayer executes the promises of God. When you read the promises of God in the Bible, God wants us to lay claim to them. And when we lay claim to them, those promises are executed. Let's look at another one. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you, what? Ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you. Ask in my name. That's not a mystical password. It's a statement that Jesus is our mediator. Hey, listen, there's more. There's more. John 16, verse 23 and 24. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Here, in verse number 24, the word ask is a present imperative command. Jesus said, you must ask. You must come to me. I am your source. I am the one who provides the way for you. Ask in my name. Then, if that is not enough, 
Let's look at John 16, 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Ask in my name. Now, I don't know whether you've been keeping score or not, but I did. You know, we have, through the years, looked forward to Easter because we preach on the seven last sayings, right, of Christ. And I see some churches already doing that, already start, starting that. But have we, we have probably overlooked his seven last promises of prayer. His work will be done through his prayerful people. Mark Melioni told me that in his church, he preached 13 messages in a row on prayer. And I asked him, did they ever get tired of it? He said, no, I could have continued on and on. People have a hunger to connect with the Lord Jesus Christ. They really do in their heart. And it's imperative that we as pastors lead the way. And if we lead the way, they will follow. Now, in light of all of this, for preachers, there must be a high priority of prayer. Now, remember I said prayer is communion with God. It needs to be our highest priority, making a divine appointment and keeping it. A divine appointment, it's that time that you shut the world out, you honor God with your full attention. Corey Tin Boone said one time, don't pray to God when you feel like it. Make an appointment with the king and keep it. Make an appointment with the Lord. A divine appointment. Uh, that's so critical. 25 years ago in our church, I got our Sunday school teachers together and I said, now, hey, let's, let's get our prayer lives organized. And you know, that's, how many people have their prayer lives organized? I said, let's get our prayer lives organized. And, uh, and let's do this. And we passed out the papers. Let's set a time. Let's call it our divine appointment. Uh, this October, I had the opportunity to speak to some of our church planters here in the fellowship. And I talked about this. And uh, the day after I talked about it, one of the church planters came up to me and was all excited and said, hey, listen, I have my first divine appointment this morning. He set a time. He put Jesus on his calendar. First of all, set a time. Secondly, record the time. Thirdly, increase the time. I, it pays to walk in communion with God. We had a motto, and our motto was this. The right way to pray is to write it all down. We were creating a written record of our communion with God. I told them this, I said, listen, my goal is to learn to pray an hour a day, five days a week. You know, pastors have more to pray about, don't they, than norm normal people? That's pastors are, and normal people. We have more to pray about. And it wasn't long before I was praying an hour a day, and God has helped me to do that now for 25 years. Uh, prayer and preaching go together. You can never be the preacher that God wants you to be unless you are in communion with God. You can go through the motions, but it won't have the power. Prayer gives wings to the Word of God. It will give wings to the Word. 
Peter, fresh from his prayer session in Acts chapter 1, took on new life spiritually. He was energized. He was emboldened. He was filled with the Spirit. You know, we can't be filled with the Spirit unless we are in communion with God, and we can't be as effective as God wants us to be in preaching unless we're filled with the Spirit. Now, this is critical. Now, the summary of all of this is Acts 4.31. In Acts 4.31, the Scripture says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, this is what we want. To pray, to be filled, and then to preach. God-powered preaching and witnessing is a result of communion with God. Now, let's consider something else. How about the preacher's history of prayer? And let me ask you a question. If you were to write your history of prayer down, how would it read? Would it be alive and up-to-date? Would it reflect the growing experience in communion with God, or would it be like a person who told me one time, all my prayer answers are old? You know, we, we all have a prayer history of people who prayed for us. Our mother. When I was a young kid, my mother said, Johnny, I'm praying that you'll be a preacher. I said, Mom, please don't do that. Please, I, I love you, but please don't do that. She would not be dissuaded. She said, I'm praying that you'll be a preacher. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous mother avails much. Uh, you, we all have people, we all have people that have prayed for us to bring us to this place in this room today. People in your history, your mom, your dad, God bless their memory. That's why we're here. Somebody opened the way for us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death by their prayers. They paved the way. We have a prayer history. Uh, people who've prayed for us, and now the people that we're praying for. I met Dr. Paul Kaplan, a Jewish doctor in Pittsburgh, when he was about 93 years old. Why he was practicing medicine that old, I did not know. But he was, he was uh, an outstanding person. He had a prayer history. I was just one of his patients in his, in his prayer history. And through the years, many believers went to his practice. He told me he was a World War II doctor, and he was in charge of analyzing the wounded when they came in, whether they got on a plane to go to triage, or they were left behind because they were so bad. And I said to him, Dr. Kaplan, do you ever think about that? And he said, 24-7 I think about that. 24-7. Dr. Kaplan, so many people came to his practice through the years, believers, and uh, they prayed for him. I struck up a friendship with him. We conversed. I told him about my trips to the Holy Land and how I loved the nation of Israel. I told him that Jesus was the Messiah of the Old Testament. He was prophesied in the Old Testament. And I remember one day as I was sitting on that cold bench, you know, they put you on. Uh, he got up real close to me and got his stethoscope on. You know, they all do that. 
They have to listen to what's going on in, on the inside. And so he was, his face was about this far from me, and I said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you know what he said? Reverend Arnold, I want to go to your church. I never invited him to the church. He lived across the town. He said, just give me the directions. I'll find it. I said, oh, no, Doc, please, you, you'll never do that. Pittsburgh, how many people have been there? It's like, oh, yeah, there's no directions. It's just like a free-for-all. He's 93. I said, Doc, let me send somebody to your house to pick you up. We'll do that. And so we did. Um, we sent a person to get Dr. Kaplan to come to church. And uh, he seemed to be so happy to, to be there. Uh, he came in, and I remember it as vividly as today. He was sitting right over here in the front of the church, such a sharp-dressed man. And uh, I said, I'm going to preach. Uh, we sang the days of Elijah. Isn't that appropriate for Dr. Kaplan? And uh, I said, I'm going to preach today from the book Revelations. And he reached in the book rack there and pulled out the little red Bible. And I saw him. I said it was in the last book of the Bible. And so I saw him going through the Bible. And, and he was following and listened so carefully through the message. And about halfway through the message, I saw him put his hand down, his face down in his hands, and I didn't know what he was doing. It was just a little bit odd. And I didn't know whether he was asking God for forgiveness because he was there or what was going on. And so after it was over, uh, everybody was shaking hands with him. You know, I, I introduced him. This is my doctor. You know, I love this guy. It's awesome. And uh, people were shaking hands. He was in the foyer of the church, and some lady came up, and she says, well, did you like the service? Well, what's a guy going to say? You know, that's a kind of a, did you like the service? He said, no. He said, I loved it, he said. I loved it. And so he's walking back the hall through the Sunday school area, and, uh, and he's talking to somebody, and I heard him say this, Jesus is my Savior, too. Jesus is my Savior, too. Well, you know, uh, we took Dr. Kaplan home for lunch with our family, and he wrote me a note. He said, Dear Pastor Arnold, it was an honor and joy to be part of your service and your congregation. I felt so comfortable and welcome there. And I'm so impressed with your wonderful family, and you made me feel extremely welcome. I will look forward to returning to the Crossroads Ministry. Thank you again, and God bless you, Paul Kaplan. Well, we struck even a, a greater friendship. And I would call him every now and then, and I'd say, Dr. Kaplan, how you doing? I'm we're doing good. And I would say, now, let me pray for you on the phone, Dr. Kaplan. And I would pray for him. And one day I got a call from his place in Florida. He called me. He says, Reverend Arnold, I'm just calling to check up on you, see how you're doing. And uh, went the end of the conversation, we always prayed. And we did that a number of times, and he called one time, and I prayed for them, and he said, now, 
Pastor Arnold, let me pray for you now. Let me pray for you. Now, he had a lot of people in his prayer history. I was just one. People have a prayer history. Now, there are doctors in your life, there are mechanics who work on your car, there are people who check you out at the grocery store. You can be a part of their prayer history. You can join the people that are already praying for them. Now, how do you transition a church? Nobody knows how to do that very well. After 45 years of being in our church, we loved it. My wife loved it. It was the love of our life. Uh, you finally come to the place you have to say, well, you know what, you can't do this forever. You don't, don't fall over in the pulpit and let them deal with that. That's an awful mem memory, you know. Little kids, <gasps> they're telling them, he just went to heaven, kids. You know, don't, relax, relax. Ushers, come forward quickly. So by 45 years into it, I, I said, to, I had a meeting with the deacons and I said, well, it's time to transition the church. And I'd never done that, so I didn't know what to do. And uh, one guy says, well, what are we going to do now? And I said, you know what I said. You know what I said, right? Let's, right, that's what I said. I said, let's pray. Let's just pray about it. And people would come and ask us, now, what are you guys doing about this? Well, I, you know, I knew I had to back off because I was always so possessive of the pulpit. You know, it, when I look back, it was wrong to do that, but I did it. Uh, and uh, I started letting a few of the staff people preach. I, I just started to try to step back. We did have this youth director, and he'd been in the church for a long time, and and so uh, he finally became a person we could depend on. We could depend on. I said, "Now let's let me speak two Sundays. You speak on the third Sunday. Every third Sunday you're on." And so uh, I was backing off. Time wore on, and I thought, "Well, while we're waiting for this new pastor, I had no clue where this new pastor is coming from." While we're waiting, let me critique you while you're preaching. So. In our three services, I sat right there in the front, and I took notes. The poor guy. I said to him, I was brutal. I said, you used I rather than me again. Please get it right. How'd you like to deal with that? Get it right. Where did you get that illustration that wasn't any good? Don't use that. See, I check them out on Saturday night. That's practice at our church. Saturday night is practice time. People are forgiving. So many times I go home and say, oh, honey, I, got, I need help. You know, and I'd study some more on Saturday night because Sunday's coming. And so I, I, on Saturday night, I really worked him over. Don't use that illustration. Please don't use that illustration on Sunday. And so it went on and on, and uh, he cleaned up his grammar. And uh, he got better. I think I thought that somebody was eventually going to walk through the door with a sign around their neck, I'm the new guy. I thought, I think that's what I was thinking. But you know what? He got better and better. And we finally came to the conclusion that the new guy was already there. And now listen, 
Let me say, that was a surprise to me. I knew he could do a lot of things, but I never dreamed he could do that. And so eventually what happened is we reassigned him from assistant pastor to lead pastor. We didn't vote on him. We just gave him a, a promotion. Who is this guy who is the lead pastor now? Well, he was a, a kid that rode on a bus to Sunday school and gave his life to Christ in our Sunday school when he was seven years of age. He was from a dysfunctional family. And the church put their arm around him and said, we love you. We, we love you. Somebody sponsored him all the way through our school. And on, in his own initiative, he went to Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. When he finished there, he went to Liberty and he got his bachelor's degree and he entered their seminary and he got two master's degrees, all on his own initiative. After, I, after we turned the church over to him, I, about six months later, I called uh, one of our assistants and I said, Jim, how's the church doing? And he said, it's tremendous. <laughs> it's it's tremendous, he said. He said, the offerings are up, the attendance are up. I said, Jim, let's talk about something else, okay? Please, let's, let's change the subject, please. I can't take much more of that. But not really, you know, because I'm really proud of my little bus kid. So cool. Uh, oh, there's a man in Ken's prayer history. Ken, the kid, seven years old. His name is Matt Pettigrew. Uh, when Ken was seven years old, there was a man in our church named Matt Pettigrew, and he said, I'm going to pray for that kid because he's from a dysfunctional home. And I'm going to pray for him every day. And he did. Hey, Matt Pettigrew was a, one of those three-hour-a-day prayers. And Ken was his prayer kid. Um, and now his little prayer kid leads the church and it's getting better and better all the time. <laughs> better and better. Hey, listen to this. Listen to this. Matt Pettigrew's wife, Mary, was one of Dr. Kaplan's patients. How about that? Patient after patient after patient went home and said, God, save Paul Kaplan for your honor and your glory. And he said, Jesus is my Savior too. Jesus is my Savior too. Hey, prayer is our legacy, really? Wouldn't it be great at the end of the day for people to say of you and me, we had a praying pastor. Uh, E.M. Bounds says this, prayer is the most important of all things on earth. It needs to be in our life. Let me ask you this in closing. What is standing in your way today hindering you from being the prayer that God wants you to be? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed, 
in prayer, I'd just like to ask you to take a little trip with me down into your heart. And I know that there are many, many good, solid pastors and preachers and evangelists and missionaries here. And I'm so thankful for you. And I boost you. But you know, I think in, in our heart that all of us could have the attitude of that unnamed disciple who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like John the Baptist is teaching his disciples? I want to know more. And I believe today that all of us can grow, have more and grow deeper in God because it is indeed the weight below the waterline. It does indeed give wings to the Word of God. It gives us the strength and the stamina to encourage ourselves in the Lord, as Jim said. Now with our heads bowed, I'd like to just ask you, if you feel led by God to make some sort of a commitment to Christ as relative to prayer, you can do it in your seat and say, Lord, I'm going home and I'm going to be different. I'm setting a divine appointment. 